Hello and happy Friday, one and all. This is Kevin McDonald, executive producer here at New Mexico PBS. I am your host for this podcast edition of New Mexico in Focus for Friday, May 28th, 2021. Hope you have had a terrific week and we have a lot of great content to bring to you this week. Uh, We're going to break it into a couple different uh, shows, but our first show will feature our line opinion panel segments from this week's show, which did have a theme, and that theme is really how your taxpayer dollars are spent and whether or not the state is doing a good job in stewarding those dollars. And uh, it's a mixed bag, of course, but we're going to kick things off this week with a milestone that's been 15 years in the making. Many of you probably watched along as Virgin Galactic launched uh, a successful suborbital launch this weekend down at Spaceport America, something that started as a handshake between Virgin Galactic's Richard Branson and former Governor Bill Richardson, like we said, 15 years ago. And this puts us one step closer to space tourism here in New Mexico. Could be later this summer. There are a couple more launches planned, and then we might be looking at that in the very near future. This did come with a price tag of $200 million that was uh, paid for by taxpayers in New Mexico. And so it's something we've been talking about for a long years and wanted to find out what our line opinion panelists think about whether or not this justifies all of that criticism and concern over the years. And if this proved that this was the way to go for us here in New Mexico. So let's turn it over to host Gene Grant and want to let you know our line panelists this week. They are all regulars. Diane Snyder, she's a former state senator. Also, Tom Garrity of the Garrity Group PR and Serge Martinez of the UNM Law School. He is a professor there. Great group to talk about these things. So let's kick it off right now. Here is Gene. New Mexico is officially no longer just the land of enchantment. Last weekend, we became only the third state to successfully send humans into space as Virgin Galactic successfully launched the VMS Unity into suborbit. Now, in many ways, it was the culmination of more than a decade of efforts to put our state on the interstellar map. It's also cost more than $200 million in taxpayer dollars. Got to get that in. The question remains, will that investment pay off in the long run? Here to help us debate that question is this week's Line Zoom panel. We welcome back Tom Garrity of the Garrity Group. And also with us this week is Diane Snyder, a former state senator and Serge Martinez of the UNM Law School. Welcome to you all. Now, guys, New Mexico's partnership with Virgin Galactic started with a handshake between Sir Richard Branson and former Governor Bill Richardson. It now includes a spaceport, Virgin Galactic's home base, of course, and more than 100 companies that support this industry. My question to you, starting with Tom, is this. Does this weekend's successful launch validate Governor Richardson's decision, and does it quiet the critics? Uh, yes and yes and no and no. Uh, you know, it all it all depends which which uh, side of the apple you want to bite from. Um, you know, I think that uh, the victory lap for Governor former Governor Richardson mm-hmm. and Sir Richard Branson is well deserved. They were on site. Uh, I should, we should mention uh, for the launch, they were both there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So mm-hmm. you know, I think that you know they they definitely deserve that victory lap. There have definitely been a lot of issues. You know, the runway being replaced. Uh, not just once, but twice, uh, mm-hmm. you know, some administrative issues. 
Uh, but all of that has been cleaned up and I think that is headed in the right direction. It is a lot of money, but as we can see with, uh, you know, with uh, Amazon and as well as with um, uh, Tesla, all you know, having their own kind of perspectives as well, it was an investment that I think positioned New Mexico well mm -hmm. uh, in, in this particular space. Mm -hmm. Senator, I got to ask you the same question. You've been tracking this, of course, for a long time from your elected days till now. Is, is Governor Richardson validated here? Are we on the right track finally? Yes, yes, I'm kind of like Tom, yes and no. Okay. It was, I happened to be in the Senate mm -hmm. when we voted for this, I believe 15 years ago. And I was one of the few, very few, Tom might be able to remember exactly, but one of the very, very few Republicans voted for it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was Richardson's folly. It was all these right. horrible, horrible things being said. Mm -hmm. And I, I could see the vision that Mr. Branson had. I, you look at New Mexico and you think of our history and what we've done. And, and it's, you know, the nuclear bomb is not space, but we've done so many innovative things here. Mm -hmm. And we've got this wide open land out there to have a spaceport. To me, it was a natural thing. And I, I talked about on the floor that day, talked about Sally Ride and Chris McAuliffe. I could, now, many of us were never trained to be a, 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 an astronaut, but there are so many people in New Mexico, I know some, that, that can see themselves in that history and being a part of it. Mm -hmm. And little girls, I see, longing to be in space. Well, if they, maybe they're going to be entrepreneurs instead and develop their money and pay their $250,000 to fly. But it's, it's something that's unique to us. Yes, we're just the third state, mm -hmm. but I see us becoming the leader in it in, in commercial space flight. Mm -hmm. And I think I've read someplace that Mr. Branson thinks, now he may have just been saying that to Governor Richardson, but <laughs> I think he sees that because of the things I've mentioned the wide open spaces, the right. entrepreneurial belief in, in attitudes we have in New Mexico, as well as, of course, our, our labs. I think New Mexico could easily expand our role of being leading scientists and leading the country, maybe even the universe. Because like going into space, that's you right. know, I like it. I like we, I like your worldview. That's right. Your yeah, universe. We can, we can become that leader. We can be the, at the top of the list. I, I think you're quite right there. Hey, Serge. You know, Virgin's expected to launch two more flights this summer, but I gotta I gotta imagine that until there is a paying customer, Senator just mentioned that the quarter million dollars, by the way, for the privilege, um, that the big turning point is when, first, when paying customers get into space. Would you, would you agree with that, that this is all noise until that happens? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It is super, super cool and mm -hmm. exciting. And, you know, I would love to be on that spaceship as well. Um, would you? And I'll be the first in line for the New Mexico in Focus <laughs> Charter. You're going to be second behind Senator Snyder, actually. You're not going to be first. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I do think, yeah, we are a long way from this being, you know, from the the victory lap is a little bit premature, I think. Uh, it's no, certainly it's there's a lot of reasons <laughs> to be excited, but yeah, I don't know that there's going to be an endless stream of people, you know, willing to pay, willing and able to pay all that money. I hope so. It sounds great. Mm -hmm. I was, I mean, the idea it, sounds fantastic, and we're but well. But there, there are already 
a long list of people signed up to be on it and not just the leaders and volunteers. It's actually people who have put their deposits down to go on this shop, uh, this ride. And, Tom, and I'm just, Tom, is there is there a time when regular New Mexicans might be able to afford something like this? Is that possible? You know, I, I guess that's really up to, uh, you know, Virgin Galactic. But, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the pricing right now is, you know, there's what's the pricing that's being proposed, or at least that what people are paying. And then there's the pricing, you know, uh, once everything is up and running. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you look at Jeff Bezos's operation uh, and their proposed prices, I mean, 250000 250000 is a bargain compared to the other prices to go mm-hmm. up into suborbital, uh, you know, suborbit and such. So, you know, I, I hopefully New Mexicans will have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you know, having been raised, uh, you know, in a time with, of the Apollo space program uh, and, yeah. and watching, you know, Neil Armstrong take that first step on the moon, um, you know, who would have ever thought mm-hmm. that uh, this is something that's even possible? And now New Mexico is one of three states. Uh, to have successfully launched a human into space. I think that's a, it's a great time for a victory lap surge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there you go. Me too. Senator, you know, there's, there's 170 employees on the ground already. You know, it's not as if this is, this is like a pipe dream anymore. There are people here, they are, they're paying taxes, they're paying, you know, groceries and everything else and buying cars. Is that, is that a sign to you that this thing's really moving forward? Well, yes, when you consider that it started just 15 years ago mm-hmm. from a blank desert field. I mean, there was nothing there. There were no stores, no restaurants, no people, no no uh, terminal. You call it a terminal when they come out. Sure. Uh, I mean, nothing was there. That's right. There have been some of the space competitions. I believe there are high school kids have mm-hmm. done some space things mm-hmm. at the spaceport. It's we're bringing we talk a lot about uh, bringing our kids into Mesa, the science, math, science and things. This is an opportunity for them to develop um, a prototype into going into space and being educated in the thought process that it is possible. And I'm serious when you think in terms of 170 jobs when it started just 15 years ago. Sure as a blank desert field. That's a good point. I think we've come a long way, and I think there's, I think, pun intended, the sky is the limit. I love you it. Know, we... I love it. Hey, Serge, <laughs> I, I got to bring this up, though. There's been a lot of concerns over the years about transparency uh, with these folks. When you really think about it, uh, the, the spaceport I'm talking about, um, the contracts largely hidden from public view because of proprietary concerns, despite the fact that taxpayers finance the spaceport's construction, in that in some cases, this is information disclosed publicly elsewhere. Is that piece of it going to come back to haunt us here? What, what's your sense of the, of the transparency issue and how they approach it? Uh, well, Gene, I have to confess, I'm not super, super familiar with this uh, particular history. Nothing wrong, you know, nothing wrong with that. But, you know, generally transparency is, you know, I'm, I think it's an unalloyed good and anything that ends up being lack, right. you know, with the lack of transparency there's potential for problems. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean there's necessarily anything shady, but it, you know that's a recipe for disaster when you have lots of money and and not a lot of uh, people being able to see what's going on. Yeah, it's never a good thing. Well, that's a good point, Tom. Real quick, one last question. You know, leadership questions down there too. Don't forget, they fired executive director Dan Hicks, who had been there for quite a long time since the beginning, I, I believe. 
Does that give you any pause at all? Is there a leadership vacuum void at the top or are you feeling like we're in good shape here? Well, I think that, uh, you know, the, the state of New Mexico has really kind of, they identified what the issues were. Uh, they made the changes that were necessary. And I mm -hmm. think that from what I've seen that they are in, it definitely headed in the right direction. You know, it's important to remember that Virgin Galactic and Spaceport America are just one part of the aerospace and directed energy picture in the state. You know, there are more than 60 different uh, solid firms like Boeing, mm -hmm. uh, also support by Air Force Research Laboratory, mm -hmm. Sandia Labs. Uh, and so, you know, New Mexico is very well positioned here. And, uh, you know, the spaceport, obviously right now, the focal point of all of those efforts. Good point there. That'll do it for now on this topic. But when we come back, we'll dive into new revelations about unemployment overpayments during the COVID-19 pandemic. Be sure, to, be sure to share your thoughts on this weekend's historic launch we just talked about at Spaceport America on our Facebook page and sign up to be part of our Focus on New Mexico group. Staying on the theme of taxpayer dollars, we are now going to head back to the line panel to talk about a story no doubt you've seen in the headlines this week. And that is an LFC, Legislative Finance Committee report, that found that the state may have overpaid uh, unemployment benefits by the tune of nearly $250 million. The governor has said that it is not quite that high. And a lot of folks have also said not exactly unexpected given the speed with which the state tried to get unemployment benefits out the door in the middle of an unprecedented pandemic, but still a lot of questions left to be answered. And uh, as of right now, anyway, the governor has not had a huge amount to say about this. A lot of people would like to hear more from her on this. And of course, you couple that with the fact that the Secretary of Workforce Solutions, Bill McCamley, recently left that position. And uh, so just a lot to be sorted out there. And we want to get the line opinion panel's thoughts on that as well. So without further ado, send it right back to Gene and the line. Things appear to be going from bad to worse for the state's Workforce Solutions Department. The former Secretary Bill McCamley stepped down suddenly in April and now says it was in part because of harassment he faced personally from folks frustrated with the processing of their unemployment claims in the midst of a global pandemic. And the Legislative Finance Committee issued a report that found the state may have overpaid on unemployment claims to the tune of $250 million. Nearly half of that, according to the LFC, might in fact be fraudulent. Now, Senator Snyder, the governor has said in a statement that those numbers are actually much lower. But either way, this has turned into a financial mess for the state, no doubt. Given the unprecedented nature of the COVID-19 pandemic, is it any surprise that there would be problems? Let's just sort of start there. Were you shocked when you first heard the story? Well, that level of money always is shocking to yeah. me. But but that there were problems? No, it, it, it is, isn't. And I certainly don't think it's unique to New Mexico. I haven't done any study or research on other states. Mm -hmm. But when you have that kind of, and I believe it would rapid change in the number of applicants. Mm -hmm. First of all, you're short-staffed. You, you have to find staff to hire to handle things. You, what, I believe it was going from 14,000 phone calls up to 200,000 phone calls. Well, the, the, number, the number went from 7,500 a month to 75,000 a day. 75,000 yes, calls a you. day, that's amazing. Who could handle and, that? And the, 
Mm-hmm. Nobody can. And certainly nobody ever dreamed that we would have to. Mm-hmm. So, and we're also facing the fact that we were loaned money to cover right. some of our right. uh, initial expenses. Mm-hmm. So that's in addition to the 200,000. And I don't know whose figures are right, the studies or, or the governors. The problem, the thing is, we still have a problem and we still have unemployed people mm-hmm. uh, that we have to honor our commitment to them for unemployment. So I'm not surprised that we have a problem. I'm just waiting to see really and truly how severe a problem it is mm-hmm. because the money has to be found someplace. That's a good point there. And I want to ask Serge, you just made an interesting point on the, on the level of money in that loan. Uh, the LFC has a concern of a $278 million loan from the federal government to shore up the state's unemployment insurance fund. And the state has received $1.75 billion in American Rescue Act funds. And it appears that at least some of that money will go back to paying that loan I just mentioned. But the big question is, how do we get this back under control from here, Tom Garrity, given we have an interim secretary in Ricky Cerna, who's been around, he's doing the best he can, but holy smokes, he's got an uphill climb here. Yeah, most definitely. You know, the, the there there was a lot of uh, fraud, which you know I think is the the main culprit mm-hmm. uh, you know, for the major overpayments. I mean, there was also fraud with the PPP program. Right. Uh, so you know, the, the the surprise. You know, we shouldn't be shocked, but maybe we should be surprised. Uh, with just how massive this issue is, um, you know, I had a, a personal connection uh, with the with the fraud issue because back in October of last year, uh, my identity was uh, was stolen mm. and it was used to actually leverage unemployment benefits oh, wow. uh, for someone. Um, and so, you know, I had a chance to work it work that both from the employer side as well as the employee side, mm-hmm. uh, knowing that you know the the state of Mexico is just simply overloaded. And, you know, the level of anxiety that it provides to, you know, anyone and knowing that I'm not alone now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, is really something else. So, you know, uh, it it's, has since been resolved, but wow, it took about six to seven months to get it all kind of, you know, uh, put into place. So hopefully uh, New Mexicans will get answers, uh, you know, to not just, you know, what's next for employers as far as, you know, our our, our contributions to this fund going to continue to increase wow. uh, to make up for that shortfall or, you know, will we be provided grace? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's still a lot of questions around this, not the least of which is, is how did the fraud occur? That's a good point there. In six to seven months, I thought you were going to say six to seven days when you started to get into that sentence. That, oh, man. Hey, Serge, you know, the governor has been pretty quiet on this issue. You know, she's issued some statements, but so far, She's not really done an in-depth interview that I've seen on this situation. Does she need to get in front of the public to answer some of these questions? I mean, we're talking a classic buck stops here kind of moment. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think not only is it a good opportunity to sort of say, yeah, the buck stops here. Mm-hmm. I honestly think this, I mean, this LFC report to me seems is a bit of a hit job. I think DWS did this exactly right. We're talking about billions of dollars coming through mm-hmm you know, a, a non-zero amount of fraud, but if you do the math, if I've done it correctly, it's, you know, in the neighborhood of three or 4% of this money in a pandemic with a huge amount of, you know, new claims coming in when the primary thing we're worried about is making sure that new Mexicans are taken care of, mm-hmm. that we are, you know, doing the math or the calculus, right, of saying, are we going to make it the barriers to getting this 
and making sure we're accurate, so insurmountable that we underserve the people of New Mexico? Or are we going to say, let's get this money out? And is there an acceptable, you know, I don't know what the right number is, but to me, is 3% slippage, right, an acceptable level um, of misallocation and misappropriation when we're talking about the tens of thousands of New Mexicans who are receiving this and helping this? I vote yes every single day. Mm -hmm. To me, this is a no-brainer. I don't understand, you know, this is, sure, let's look at it. Let's try to figure out. But we have seen here and all over the place, right, in housing, one of my favorite things to talk about, one of the biggest problems with getting rent to people right. has been the documentation, the getting of all the right pieces of paper mm -hmm. to everybody. And less money is going out the door. I think DWS made the right call on this, and I support that. I think this was... This is uh, a, a moment to say, yes, yes, this happened. And, you know, this is why. And we prioritize New Mexicans over, you know, trying to, you know. I, I think I know what moment. you're trying to say there. Absolutely. I, I, I hear your point line and clear. But, Senator, in the meantime, um, we've got an 8.2% unemployment rate here in New Mexico. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's obviously work to be done in... We don't know who, what percentage is looking for a job. And by the way, that puts us tied with New York for the third highest unemployment rate in the country, just for perspective there. Is that news just going to exacerbate the problems we're having with fraudulent claims that we're talking about right now? I don't think the, the fact that New York and New Mexico are tied mm -hmm. is going to exacerbate it. I think the fact that New Mexicans who are unemployed see these millions even billions of dollars coming into our state mm -hmm. and they can't get a phone call answered. They can't get an email answered. They can't do, they can't get mm -hmm. any response about their claim. I think, and I went in and I've looked at all these things. There's some questions that you don't know whether they're asking this or they're asking that. Mm -hmm. And I think that they will find, and, and maybe I'm being naive, I don't know, but I think they'll find that some of the fraud is because people simply didn't know which answer to choose, which they didn't fit in either box completely. Mm -hmm. So I think we'll find some of that. But I think the main th thing is, and we've not really talked about this, is that some people uh, are in New Mexico are actually earning more through the unemployment than they were um, as an employee. Well, I tried to think of who, what categories that would be. And I only, and here again, it could be wrong, mm -hmm. but uh, I can only think of like the hospitality industry. Mm -hmm. And and when you have, as most people know, there's a lower wage pay for mm -hmm. wait staff, for instance, right. and they depend on their tips. Well, is, is their evaluation by the Department of Labor, do they look at what they were actually paid hourly, that right. lower rate? That's right. Or do they count in any, and if you start looking, at, and if you're having to read, a lot of people right now have finished out their first round. Let me, let me, of, let me, let me do this, uh, Senator. I, I appreciate that, your, your point there. I want to ask Tom to kind of wrap it up a bit under a minute okay. here. Dovetailing off what Senator is describing here, Tom, I'm, I'm curious about perception and, and how this all works for the general citizenry and our trust in government, our trust in how we do our business. What's, what's the perception bounce here from this story? Yeah, well, for Department of Workforce Solutions, unfortunately, they're reinforcing a negative. Uh, you know, 
Uh, trust in state and federal government has been on the decline for the last eight years. Right. And, uh, you know, so these types of uh, missteps by government will not do anything to rebuild it very quickly unless uh, they increase really the frontline personnel and the communications. Uh, you know, that's the big question mark right now is, you know, people try and call the, the mm -hmm. 800 number or the toll free number of the call center. And they just say that uh, they get a message saying that, you know what, um, all lines are busy. Right. Uh, you know, I, I know this because I've called it. And so you, what you want to be able to do is, you know, make sure that everybody has a chance to, you know, get on that call waiting list uh, to be placed on hold, even if it's a really long time. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of customer service items that government can do and implement uh, to really rebuild mm -hmm. or at least to, you know, kind of balance out that trust so they can start to build it back up again. Well, interesting point there, and that's going to have to come with a new head of the department. They haven't had a PIO for over a year. Like the whole thing, this could be an opportunity to just revamp the whole deal. Thanks to the entire panel for taking the time to research and discuss this important topic. We're back in a bit with more debate, this time around taxpayers potentially footing the bill for cleaning up after the oil and gas industry. It was another busy week for us here on the New Mexico and Focus team. Want to make you aware of a Facebook Live we did on Wednesday. Another story plucked from the headlines. This is the famous La Luz Trail Run, which uh, is apparently not going to happen, at least the way things stand right now. The Forest Service denying permits there, and efforts are underway to try to save that, restore that. Very popular, well-known event here in New Mexico. Been going on for a long time. Kind of took a lot of folks by surprise. So host Gene Grant got some folks together to talk about that. Encourage you to go to our Facebook page. If you're interested in that topic, learn more about it. You can just search for at NM in focus. And we also want to encourage you to sign up for our private Facebook group, which is focused on New Mexico. We collectively talk as a group each week about a lot of the topics on the show and outside of the show. We'd love to have your voice there so you can do that as well. All right, we will round out this week's show with the line panel and another story we plucked from the headlines this week, which really has to do with uh, bonding around the oil and gas industry. These companies uh, need to prove that and put money aside for cleanup and the plugging of wells and other remediation if in the unlikely event that they were to go bankrupt and go belly up and a new report that uh, was approved by the governor and the state land commission found that we are under collecting on that in a big way. Uh, the number thrown out there was if all of the oil and gas companies were to fold up shop, we know that's an unlikely situation, but the shortfall could be as high as $8 billion. And this is something obviously top of mind, not only because of the pandemic and its impact on the industry, but also the state's move towards renewable energy sources and uh, what that impact will have on all of this as oil and gas trickles down eventually and uh, what happens to these well sites, of which there are thousands across New Mexico. So here again, Gene Grant and the Line Opinion Panel. We've talked a lot this week about the taxpayers' burden in New Mexico, whether it be Spaceport America or the overpayment of unemployment benefits. And our last topic also follows that theme, this time when it comes to cleaning up abandoned oil and gas infrastructure, should a company go belly up. 
A new study commissioned by the state land office finds taxpayers could be on the hook for more than $8 billion. It's a complicated issue, but basically comes down to steps companies have to go through to set aside money for cleanup should they go bankrupt. That's part of getting a drilling permit, but in the wake of this new report, Land Commissioner Stephanie Garcia Richards says those assurances only really cover the plugging of wells and not all the other remediation that goes into shutting down abandoned well sites. And Serge, are you surprised we're just realizing this as a state? I mean, that's a $8 billion. That's a pretty good surprise. Uh, it is, I mean, a bit surprising to think that folks, if folks didn't actually see, think about, you know, what the actual costs are going to be and the potential for, for damage. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not clear to me how recently this issue has been revisited, and and you know the bond prices many of these were set decades and decades mm-hmm. ago. They don't even keep up with inflation, let alone the cost of plugging new wells, and didn't take into account you know any other additional remediation. So I mean this is a has been a slow moving uh, development, but one that you know. I don't know, again, how recently this was looked at, Mm -hmm. but it seems like it was fairly predictable to that this would be, these costs would be included in the cleanup. You know, Senator, you know, according to the study, the financial assurances provided by the companies currently in operation will only cover two, about 200 million of the total remediation costs. That's a big gap from 8 billion. (laughs) You know what I mean? So we got to do something here. What does your political instincts tell you how we, we fix this? Uh, well, first of all, be very political. I have to uh, always, when you're evaluating uh, whether you believe a report or not, one mm-hmm. of the things you look at is who paid for it. Ah. And the fact that it was paid for by the land commissioner who has consistently, even back through her uh, campaign, not been a great friend of the oil and gas industry. So makes me a little suspect. That's my political mm-hmm. viewpoint. What we're going to do about it is is another thing. I I guess there's a part of me that says, why do we suddenly think we're going to have all these bankrupt companies? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, COVID has impacted it some, or, but the biggest thing is is I think the fact that everyone is pretending that we're going to get to. Um, uh, uh, solar and wind energy at the level of uh, which of revenues produced by oil and gas in say the next 10 or 15 years yeah. when when people are making commitments to be all solar by that time. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's the unrealistic part. So if we really, if that was po- physically possible to do, then yes, we would be have companies go bankrupt. A lot of companies over the next 15 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. But I don't see us going away from oil and gas that quickly. I think that it takes longer to to produce the jobs and the energy mm-hmm. because we don't have the lines, as we've all uh, been aware of, to transmit the energy itself, That's the power line. We don't yeah. have the grid. That's right. So I think there are a lot of things that go into this that nobody talked about. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't see that many companies going bankrupt in the next 10 years. Mm-hmm. So I, I think $8 billion is an awfully big number. Good point there. Um, Tom, part of the issue is the state bonding requirements. They're tiny relative to all these costs we're talking about here. We talk a lot about what oil and gas brings to the state. Senator just mentioned this, but it's not going to last forever. 
And these costs are notoriously hard to recoup. I mean, bonding was last updated decades ago, as Senator just mentioned as well. Are lawmakers too eager to listen to industry lobbyists in your view? What, like, what's going on here? Well, uh, boy, you know, that's a whole other topic right there. I, <laughs> you know, here, here's where I, you know, there's, there's a need, and I think that there's a little bit of uh, political play and mm -hmm. such. You know, uh, according to different media reports, there have been about 277 wells that have been capped. And that's what the, uh, the bonds are being set aside for, is right. for the cleanup of those particular capped wells. Um, with the uh, with the narrative really focusing on uh, fossil fuels not being uh, you know really a transition from there and we've seen a couple of things recently in a, a court in Denmark uh, as well as uh, a, a Fortune 500 oil and gas company having an environmentalist now as a part of their board you know that there is going to be a shift uh, you know uh, in in that in that general area which could result in additional wells being capped. And so I think that on one hand, uh, the land commissioner is, is, is smart to get ahead of that and to say, okay, what are the potential costs? Is the state of New Mexico covered? On the other, you know, I think that, uh, you know, there, uh, since we haven't really heard from industry and any of the media coverage that I saw, mm -hmm. that the, the industry is probably scratching their heads going, okay, wait a second, you know, is this really an accurate assessment? of the current state of affairs. Right. So, you know, I think that this is a conversation that will have to continue uh, and have a lot more input from the industry. But I think it's a, it's a good start to, uh, to the conversation. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, one particular remedy as the, as the commissioner has identified is to increase, um, you know, the bonding rates, uh, which, uh, which are pretty significant, you know, from 25,000 per right. well to 150,000 a well. That's right. It's a lot of cash. That's right. Her quote is, we need to right size our bonding requirements, our assurance requirements on any development that happens on state land. And that's, that seems pretty clear. You know, Serge, how does the governor's push towards renewable energy sources affect this discovery? It, it's, I want to follow up, obviously, where Senator was at a little bit ago, but is, there, is this impactful, you know, where the governor wants to go? She's been very clear on this in this financial situation? Uh, I mean, I think so. I think that you see what's going on around the world, right? This is, you know, an industry dependent on the price of a commodity that they have no control over. Mm -hmm. And although it's not quite as fragile as it looked maybe a year ago, it's, you know, there's still lots of potential for, for the uh, cost of developing and, you know, operating these wells to be more than the, the economic value of doing so mm -hmm. relatively soon, relatively quickly, relatively easily, even the absence in the absence of this push towards renewables. But with that in mind, yeah, I think it's absolutely a factor. And I think I agree with uh, Senator Schneider that mm -hmm. this is not, you know, a crisis that we need to rush out to and fix in this right at this moment. It's not all falling apart, but there's a lot of potential for that. And it's something that we need to to keep in mind. And yeah, it's accelerating because of this push. I. I mean, I imagine it is going to accelerate based yeah. on this the push towards renewables, which is yeah. a good thing. Senator, real quick, we're, we're just so pinched on time, but I want to get this in. There was a House memorial this past session. Oh, the, I'm sorry, my fault. The 2020 session that called for a review of all energy bonds, but it never made it anywhere. Did lawmakers sort of miss the moment there? I, I think at the time, memorials, as you know, have no effect in law. Mm -hmm. they, they mean nothing other than the fact that usually if you pass one, they'll do a little study of something. And it could mm -hmm. have simply been a time crunch. I don't know the exact reason, or but I don't see it being, uh, all it called for was a study. 
And I just don't see that 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 there was any great political opposition to killing it or any a right. memorial. Right. You know, uh, Tom, just real quick on that last thought there. You know, memorial is a memorial, as, as Senator mentioned. Is it just not, are we going to get serious here and take that step past memorials into something a little more concrete? Well, you know, all of that, all roads lead to the budget. And so until the legislators and the governor really come together to say, how are we going to replace uh, the potential lost revenue from the oil and gas industry? Um, you know, until those serious conversations have been held, uh, then all I think we're, we're going to see are memorials that uh, get tabled. There you go. There will be public meetings coming up to discuss this issue, and we'll do our best to share that information with you when we have it. I want to thank all of our line panelists for joining us this week. I'm back in just a second with some final thoughts for the week. All right, we want to thank you as always for tuning in, for taking us with you wherever you are. We would ask you to leave us a review if you would and rate the podcast as well. Let your friends know about it. Let us know what you want us to cover. You can reach out to us in a lot of different ways. We talked earlier about Facebook, but we are also right there for you on YouTube and Twitter and Instagram, and we'd love to hear from you. Let us know what we should be tackling. And one quick reminder before we go that next Tuesday is Election Day, so if you haven't already voted or voted early, be sure to get out and vote in the special election in the 1st Congressional District if you're eligible to vote there. That is the race to replace Deb Holland in Congress. She, of course, was named Secretary of the Department of the Interior, and so we've got a battle to replace her there, and we encourage you to get out and vote and do that civic duty. Until then, have a terrific Memorial Day weekend. We'll be back with much more next week, as well as an episode with some more from this week's show. We had a great conversation about efforts to help folks suffering through mental health issues in tribal communities across New Mexico. Some really useful information there. Also, we're updating a program we featured in our environmental series, Our Land, a couple years ago. That's the Bosque Monitoring Project, which uh, involves students, kindergarten through high school, all across Albuquerque. They go and they monitor water levels, all sorts of things throughout the Bosque. And unfortunately, like so many things right now, they're facing some funding issues. So we wanted to find out about all of that and what that might mean for this important program. So look for that in the coming days, and we will talk to you again soon. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy.